Alrighty, welcome to the Empower Men Podcast. <laughs> Those are the podcasts where you'll find real guys talking about real life. Uh, welcome, Raf, the mastermind and the tech guru. <laughs> How are you, mate? Good, mate. Thank you. Good. Yes, it's going to be a good show, I'm sure. We are certainly learning as we go with this, aren't we, Cole? We sure are. So, yes, I'm Cole. You might hear Raf uh, call me Mosh every now and again. That's my uh, old nickname. Now, I'll let you all know that we are not intellectuals. We're not psychologists. We're not doctors. We've had our fair share of up and downs in our life, but I guess we're two guys giving life a good crack. So, But this podcast isn't about us. And as Raf would know, this is not about us. It's about two other people. It's about our weekly guest um, and listening to their story and their experiences and learning from that. But it's also about you, the person watching or listening. Our goal is in some way that you might wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and just become a better per- version of yourself. So um, healthy physically, mentally, building stronger, more functional relationships as fathers, partners, mates. That's our purpose for being here. And um, that's and, 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 and as well, we're just guys with too much time and not enough to do. So we thought, <laughs> what the heck, let's just do a podcast together. COVID times, mate. What else have we got to do? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so, and that's the reason we've, we have, we're going to have a guest each week and we hit a range of different topics. So uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight's guest. He's a guy who faced an amazingly, sensationally traumatic event over 30 years ago, and it still impacts him today. Um, seven people were shot and killed um, on the 9th of August, 1987, um, and that's known as the Hoddle Street Massacre. Uh, 19 people were seriously injured, and one of those people is Andrew Hack. And it's awesome to welcome to the Empower Men podcast, Andrew Hack. Hey, guys. How are you? How are you, mate? I'm good, Kyle. Raf, how are you going? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's great to have you with us. Pleasure, mate. Pleasure. Now, Andrew, I want you to, if you could just give us a brief timeline going back those 33 years, um, and I know you've been on so many TV interviews and over the time, so you've had a lot of, you know, time to share your story, but there's probably a lot of people out there that, who might even be around your your age when that happened, back when you were a 19-year-old guy, you are cruising down Hoddle Street in Melbourne. Can you give us a bit of a brief timeline as to what happened that day or that in that time? Yeah, well, August the 9th, 1987. It was um, just a normal Sunday. I'd been uh, having a barbecue with some friends that uh, day. It was my day off work. I used to be a chef uh, at a restaurant in Fairfield. And... Um, Finished the barbie late in that day and early evening and had to head home to Fairfield and I had trade school the next morning so I like to be home early and get a good night's sleep uh, to go to trade school and all that sort of stuff and um, I used to go to a a few of the guys from work a waiter and a cook we used to go into town and have supper at this Chinese restaurant in Chinatown occasionally used to go and do that and uh, was I was feeling hungry. And so I thought I'll go into town and uh, get some takeaway Chinese. And so I was driving down Hodderberg Road heading towards Clifton Hills about 7 o'clock, uh, memory, around that time. And um, got to sort of Hoddle Street. When you get to the – there's an overpass and you can sort of go left down Hoddle Street 
um, towards the station or you can go straight into Fitzroy that yep. way. Normally yep. I would go straight. And uh, for this this night I just uh, decided I'll, I'll go this way. And um, I had the music blaring in my, in my car and ACDC was going and I was following this car. Of course. <laughs> and as I was going down the, the ramp, um, I remember as I sort of flattened out, I remember seeing uh, lights a bit further down, police lights, and I, I just thought a car had been pulled over. And uh, so as I flattened out, I saw this car in front of me, it was probably about 30, 40 metres in front of me. I saw what was like sparks on this car, like something had fallen off from underneath the car, like a bit of exhaust or something. And I just, I didn't think nothing of that. And um, I kept driving along and then all of a sudden there was this almighty bang mm. and it felt like I'd ran over something on the road. Yeah. Um, because the pain came up through my buttocks and leg and back um, and my whole body was just, pins and needles, you know, like when your foot goes to sleep and you sit on the couch too long and your foot goes to sleep. So my whole body was like that and I couldn't get yeah. this, had this feeling. Um, and I had a white shirt on and I just noticed it was covered in blood um, all around my sort of back of my um, shoulder tricep area and my lower back. And my whole body was uh, pins and needles. So I, could, I had no feeling for about, oh, this is probably only about 15, 20 seconds before I got that feeling back. Mm. Um, and then I didn't know I'd been shot at that time. Like I said, I felt like there was something on the road. So I, I've looked out of my car and towards the footpath near out in front of the station, which was about 10 metres away, there was two people laying on the footpath, slumped over each other. Wow. And um, I, at the time, shock, whatever it was, got out of my car, got halfway a across the front of my car, I was going to help these people to see what was wrong. And as I got to the front of my car, I heard this another almighty bang. And um, I found out later that where he was shooting everyone, he moved along the station and he ended up killing the guy coming down the ramp behind me. This was probably about, look, it might have been 30 seconds after I got shot, a minute, something like that. Wow. So then I realised someone was shooting. And so I got back into my car and thought, you know, I've been shot, I've got, to, I've got to get help. Um, and growing up in the northern suburbs, I only knew the Austin as the hospital, you know. Um, so I got into my car, I wanted to drive myself to the hospital. So I did a, like a U-turn over a medium strip and sort of went back the way I came. Uh, there was a big, big um, sort of hairpin that went back down Holder Street in towards the Austin. And um, I remember seeing police cars coming the other way and then I started getting a bit dizzy and faint, I had this pain in my back and I put my hands down, my left hand on the left side to see what's going on because it was pulsating Yeah. and I put my fingers sort of in this hole on my back and um, it was just all gooey and wet and my shirt was white, it was getting redder and redder with blood and um, I didn't make it to the hospital, I pulled into the Jica restaurant where I used to work as, as an apprentice chef and... I pulled in and I parked my car like any other day. I locked my steering, locked my car. It was just weird what I'd do. That. And then walked into the, the foyer of the reception area and there was a lady working there. Her name was Marie and she'd worked most Sunday night. So um, she knew me and she saw me coming in through a little gap in the door. As she's walked out to the, rest, uh, to the reception, she said, oh, Andrew, and she saw me. Covered mm. in blood, and she screamed. And I collapsed on the 
foyer yeah. of the restaurant. There was people having dinner, and then from then on, it was just uh, it was crazy. People were coming out, and then they got an ambulance down. So basically, that's wow. that's, that's the that's the story, really. Yeah, unbelievable. It's just full on that you're just a young guy traveling down down to see his mates, and bang, just something like yeah. that happened. So tell us physically physically what happened over the next months weeks months were you in hospital for a while surgery yeah. what, what sort of thing had that work well the ambulance came and took me to the hospital and, and it was it was weird because when someone when they rang for the ambulance which was only about 200 meters up the road the ambulance station they thought i'd been shot at the motel they thought i'd been shot oh. there because someone just rings oh he's been shot and they, they didn't hear it. they haven't heard oh. about Hot Street. yeah so they came got me chucked me in and i was in the ambulance and um I lost conscience a few times in the in the ambulance. Lost a lot of blood, and then I remember going to the hospital. And you could hear their radio in the car with just the police radio. It must have been people just going crazy. Mm, and yeah. um, took me to uh, the Austin, and there was oh, it was like a team of like probably ten people out there waiting. So they knew what was going on. This was probably about. Well, it might have been half an hour from the time I've been shot to the time I got to hospital. Yeah. And I remember going in there. I remember the doctor, he was had these, like, forcep tweezer-type things that he pulled the bullet out from the side of me and he showed me the bullet. And as he pulled it out, blood started squirting everywhere and then there was a bit of a panic around. So he showed me the bullet and he dropped it in one of those little kidney tray things and... And uh, then he tried to get the one out of my arm, and um, that was hurting. So it was getting pretty bad. I was then almost out of it, unconscious. Yeah. And then uh, basically they just took me to theatre and just operated. And, and the doctors basically said to, I think my mum was there, or um, she came a bit later on, and they, they really didn't know whether I was going to make it through the night. Mm. Um Obviously, I did, and uh, woke up the next morning, still sedated and, and in a lot of pain, and bandaged up. And uh, it was a few days. Well, I sort of knew the next day, or late the next day, because it was the evening. So the next day, what had happened? I didn't know how many people were killed, and didn't know exactly what sort of how many were wounded. Yeah. And um, so I was in hospital for ten days, ten eleven days. Yeah, and it was it was pretty hard because the the injuries were they were open wounds, so we had to the nurses they had to pack the wounds with like gauze and and salt bath them every day. You couldn't just stitch yeah. them up, and they were massive. And I remember one day the nurse said, "I hadn't seen the injury on my back and my lower left side. Do you, do you want do you want to have a look? You know." And she she got the mirror and then. And, and I, I literally threw up and I saw it. It was just a, a whopping big hole in the oh. side, of my, side of my back. The one on my shoulder, I could actually look at that and see the bone down through that. Amazing. But the hardest thing was um, after about 11 days, I went home and I only went home if I could have a district nurse come to my house every day to change my dressings and wounds. Yeah. And it took about 11 or 12 weeks of doing that until the scar tissue started coming out and getting better and yeah um so that was that was that was pretty hard. So I was off I was off, off work for about about three months. Yeah. And then going back to work was um was was pretty tough. You know, physically I well that's when 
that's when the other side kicks in. When you know the you're feeling okay, the wounds are healing good, but it was what was going on in my head that was what I was struggling with. And I guess back then, you know, if we're moving on to that that idea of the the mental health side of it, back then that probably wasn't as known about. It wasn't talked no. about as much. It was like, come on, champ, up you get, you know, off you go. That's, that's, about that side of it. That's what it was. I mean, it was 87, or 87, 88, in early 88, it was like I never heard of um, depression and all that sort of stuff and post-traumatic stress, which is, which is what I have. Um, I just, you just had to toughen up. You were just told, get on with it, deal with it. And I think that's everyone tried to deal with it back then. Yeah. And it was probably uh, the first part of uh, 88 where I was just feeling so down. I was always looking over my shoulder. I was back at work and I was trying to cut food, uh, being a chef, trying to cut food. I was shaking. I was just, I just wasn't myself. I said, this is not like I was like before. It wasn't like this before. Yeah. And I just just felt bad and, and I felt really bad that, um, you know, I, here I am, this tough guy that's uh, just survived something, you know, so traumatic. Mm. But all I wanted to do was kill myself. Yeah. And I just, um, I, I remember one day I, I took um, some uh, an overdose of tablets and um, I was just hoping I wouldn't wake up. But obviously they, it was on my lunch break and they, 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 they found me and got me to hospital and pumped my stomach and all that. And, um, yeah. But I just, I just hated myself. I hated life. I didn't. I was confused, and I think yeah, there was no help there. It was very hard because there was no no one ring coming to say, "Oh, ring this person; they'll help you." I had yeah. to find find my own help after you know the second time trying to take yeah. my life. Yeah. Just I just had enough, and it was the first two years was 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 pretty was pretty hard. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> because I mean, not only did you almost, you know, die in hospital, but I remember you you telling me just taking back what one of the police guys said to you after he, he showed you a pencil or a photo. Tell us a little bit about that to create a little bit more context around what happened. Yeah. Well, I was in in the hospital, and uh, Detective Grant Kent came in and uh, took my statement, and um, it was about four days about four days, four or five days after the shooting. And he walked in, he looked at me and he, he shook his head and he said, mate, you are one lucky bugger. You know, he said, I can't believe I'm here talking to you. And then he sort of, um, he pulled out some photos and um, you got to understand that what, what, what he used was a machine gun, an M14 military rifle, which had bullets in it that explode on impact. So I had four bullets enter... The, my car in the same hole and it was on a black trim um, you could hardly see the hole on the trim, it was an old Cortina uh, but what they do is they have a tip on them that explode on impact, so they go through they go through you or they hit something like the size of a pen but they explode on the inside, so the inside of my door jam was blown to smithereens and it came through my console, hit me in the lower side, hit me up in the tricep shoulder and a lot of small wounds down my ribs um, and the police officer showed me some photos of all these pens that he put in the in the seat, 
Um, and he said, I'll show you something that's amazing. And I still can't believe that, you know, you're, you're here. These are the bullets. Where those pens are, they're the bullets that actually missed you and went around your body. Because I got hit with four bullets and they all entered the car in the same hole as a machine gun. So they fragments, as they blow up and explode and impact, fragments went everywhere. Mm. So I got copped a lot and some missed me, went through the seat and into the back door. So when you see things like that, you think, you know, if it was, a, I got shot, one was up, in the, up on almost the top of the shoulder. I mean, that's an inch higher or half an inch higher gets me in the neck. Yeah. And I'm, I'm probably not talking to you today. Yeah. Mate, so, like, I can't even start to comprehend, you know, what you've been through, but how do you start to build or rebuild your life after that? Like, I mean, you know, it's just amazing. Obviously, you, you know, you, you went through some really deep and dark times, but, you know, you're here, you train with me in the pit and, you know, yeah. you come down, you're smiling, you're smashing it. You know, so obviously, I mean, it's been over 30 years, but there's obviously some things that you've put into your life to sort of help rebuild after such a traumatic thing. Can I just yeah. jump up? Yeah. I think um, what what Cole's asking is a really valid question because I'd imagine, Andrew, and I, and I don't yeah. know you as well as Cole, but I'd imagine that if you wound the clock back to two years after, so 1988, 1989, when you talked about taking your own life, I'm imagining there would have been a thought where I'm not going to get out of this. I don't want to. I don't want to go any further. I can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just all black. Is that accurate? Yeah, that hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I just I couldn't see a way out. Now, for me, the only way out was to take my life yeah. and just end all the, you know, the trauma in my head. And and because that's what it does to you. You just can't get the memories and the thoughts out of your head. Yeah. Um, and thank back. goodness yeah. that you didn't succeed. Thank goodness that you are still here. But going to Cole's question, what did you do to rebuild? Where, where um, did you get from there? Where, where was that first moment of hope maybe? I think after trying to take my life, I, I did get some help and I got put onto a psychiatrist in, um, in Eltham, an older guy. Uh, his name was Dr Ross Robinson. I remember his name, an older guy, but... I went and saw him, and I was, I was confused. I was an asshole. I was mean. I was just, just wanted answers straight away. You know how what's going on with me? And I would always go in there a bit aggressive. But his job was to calm me down and make me feel better. And it, it worked. It worked over time. I started feeling better about myself. Um, so seeing him changed me in a different outlook. Mm-hmm. And then moving forward, you know, meeting Kathy later on in life and, um, and you know, having that relationship with her and then eventually getting married and having kids later on, that takes your mind off all what happened. Apart from the anniversary, of course, every year I, I get down in August the 9th every year, close to that I get um, I get really down that time of the year. But I think getting married and then having a family, it, that, that's how it inspired me to sort of move on. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, I mean, I, I know you. I've known you for well over twelve months now, and I mean, you're such a generous and giving person. Like, I've, I've never met someone you like you in that sense. But like, it's almost like you've gone from such a deep dark space right through to this positive, you know, giving generous person. I mean, how, what have you done to build that attitude into your life? It's just for me that's that's 
one of the amazing things about you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, having depression is, it's, look, it's, it's, it's scary and you, you, it's the unknown. You don't know what to expect and, and you've got to teach yourself how to, to almost train your mind on how to um, get over this. But for me, I want to help people, and if I, I just want to see people happy um, because I was so down for so long. I'm, I'm extremely happy now, and I'll tell you why later. A few things that have made me so happy, but I just want to give back to others and see people happy. So me giving something, whether it's doing work for free or donating money or whatever to a cause or any cause, whatever you know, I, I, I know I just love doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And a quick question for you, Cole. I, I'd imagine that you hearing this for the first time when you did that, that Andrew went through this and had a really dark time, yep. and knowing the Andrew that you know now, was that a bit of a shock for you to think, Hank, this, this positive, generous character, how could he have been in such a dark place? Was that a bit of a surprise? Absolutely. Because <laughs> we're in the middle of, like, sets and reps, <laughs> punching it out. And, you know, somehow the, some of these topics came up and I was, like, floored. I was, like, you know, and I know I can normally talk talk well enough, you know, when we're training and doing all that. And literally I think we had to pause for a while and I just wanted to listen to his story and just try and understand how this guy came from here to, the, to there. So it's just, yeah, incredible transformation. And that, that's a testament to your character, Andrew. That must be encouraging to hear. I'm sure Cole's told you that before, but... To, yeah. to have a chalk and cheese kind of person in Cole's thinking, he knows the he knows the Andrew that we see and love today, mm. and I think that's a real testament to you and the work. Well, well, yeah, he's seen me change because I remember that day I was training with um, a girl Nicole. We were training together, and um, Cole was training us. And Nicole was talking about we were asking questions about what got her on stage, and then. And then Cole said, and she told me her briefly her story. And then Cole said, oh, tell Nicole your story. And we were all, the three of us were just, we, I don't think we trained much that day. We were just talking about, about our stories. And we were all, you know, I just wanted to hear it. Yeah. Um, and in an hour, it wasn't enough time. So we were all amazed. And that was the first time, and I think Cole got to know me a bit better over the next few weeks and months and me and, and you know, look, he's he's pretty much he's saved me. You know, the pit is my happy place, and um, and it is a lot, a lot for a lot, a lot of other people too that go there. It's oh, appreciate, yeah, appreciate that. Oh, look, I want to move on from that though. encouragement. But like, I mean, obviously, what we wanted to do is hear your story but also provide a bit of hope. I mean, this is part of what we want to do here is provide real real talk, but also hope for other people who might be going through some of, maybe not obviously a traumatic event like you have, but, you know, some people going through marriage breakups or, you know, um, have been through cancer or near-death experiences or lost a loved one, you know, and we want to give them a bit of hope. So I thought out of your experience, your 30-year experience plus, what can you sort of tell people listening, you know, maybe something that they can do or, you know, some key things in your 30-year journey of working yourself back? 
yeah, you know, well, 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 for me, and everyone's different, and you are, are right, you can go through depression, anxiety. It could be a trauma of any kind, not just yeah. mine. I mean, do you know anyone else that's been shot? Yeah. Probably not, yeah. but it could be, like you said, a marriage breakup or cancer or something. It all triggers depression or anxiety or some sort of mental health. Um, yeah. For me, I had to almost, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's about four years ago, five years ago, four or five years ago, I, I almost hit rock bottom again, which I, I mean, I did hit rock bottom. And it was around the time where he was eligible for parole um, because he got life with a minimum of 27 and he was able to apply for parole. Now, come on. I mean, look at the crime. Killed seven, 19 attempted murders. But he was able to apply and, and get lawyers to come and help him to get out. Um, that affected me a lot. So I went from being happy to down in the dumps again because I was worried, you know, why are we talking about this guy? We can't let this guy out. And that's why I did so many TV interviews over the years just to yeah. get my word out there to yeah. to talk about it and keep this guy in jail. He doesn't deserve to be out on the streets. We shouldn't even be talking about him yeah. getting out. So I hit rock bottom again. Um, where at the stage I was suicidal again. And if it wasn't through a, a couple of friends uh, that I spoke to and, and got the help, and again, I saw a, I met a psychologist, a lady, who pretty much I always say that she saved me. Um, she says to me that I saved myself by, you know, going there. But every time I see her, I get really emotional because I look at her and think how much I changed by seeing her. And she changed me completely just by thinking, by doing things I like, by talking. And it doesn't always have to be talking about Hollow Street. It can be anything in just life. Um, so what I did is, for me, getting back to some of the things that I like doing that would make me happy. Yeah. And <clears throat> music is massive for me, a massive part of my life. I love my music. I could put a song on an album on or something like that. Yeah, we rock out to everything. And music does so much to, for me, it does. It just makes me just get, I'm in a different different sort of world where I listen to music, no matter what it is, but put a music on and I feel good. I can go and see a, a band at the Corner Hotel or the Forum or whatever it'll be. There's 2,000 people there and I'm comfortable. Yeah. But I couldn't, I couldn't go to a friend's house or go to my family's gatherings because I was always worried about people would know, look at me and think, oh, what's wrong with him? That I, I got depression. I was embarrassed to yeah. go places because I thought people would pick that I'd had depression. Yeah. And I, when I found out I got depression, I hated it. I was so down on myself. I just said, oh, I don't want this. I don't, want, I don't know what to do. What? And that's where I just kept seeing my uh, psychologist and music. And um, one of the biggest things is, like joining the pit and help and Colin helping me through and just physical training, which I love. I love that physical side of training, mm. and um, so that's my um, that's my outlet right there. And and doing a bit of uh, bike riding and stuff like that. So for me, music and just finding that passion, something that you like. Yeah. Um, that's how I dealt with it, and yeah. I encourage everyone else out there to just find something that you like doing. And it, it, life's up and down. It can change in week to week. Yeah. And also I'm, I'm medicated as well, so I do take medication. Um, yeah. So that's all I can really do. That's the advice I would give. Yeah. Just, just coming back to that before you go on, Cole, 
I'd imagine, Andrew, that on the 8th, like you talked about it, the 9th of August, 1987, on the 8th you would have been fairly happy-go-lucky, normal life, nothing mm. major, and then this traumatic time just abruptly interrupted you because this is my opinion anyway. Sometimes when we have when we lose a loved one, if it's an older person like my granddad when he passed away, I really struggled with that. But I knew it was coming. I could prepare myself. There was nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. to prepare yourself for that 9th of August. On the 8th, you were happy and life was good. And then it abruptly just got interrupted. Does, does that in what emotion does that instill out of you when you think back to that? Yeah, no, that's a good question because um, on the 8th of August, you know, you was a set, obviously Saturday and I was working, I was happy. I just bought, I think it was Back in Black, I was listening to constantly, right, loved that. <laughs> um, and then on the 9th, like, to me, my outlook now is things happen so quickly, especially in my time. In one minute you're, you're doing good and the next minute you're, you've been shot at. And no one expects that, but my life went from awesome to shit in... Um, and just it, it look it changed my whole life in so many ways it still affects me today um but then i look at life now and think you just take every day as it comes because yeah. we have traumatic things happen every day yeah 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 now yeah, I, I was gonna i was gonna say i know i know a little bit about you and i know how much community means to you and being a part of something a community whether it's a cricket club or a footy club or you and your music and going out and being with people and and I think that's such an important thing and, and part of the pit community here and all that sort of stuff is really important to you. And I think one of the big struggles we've got at the moment in COVID times is not being able to be a part of your community and being with with your people, you know. And I yeah. think that's hard. And for me, like, I mean, I know there's one, one thing that Raf introduced me to the other well, a few weeks ago was an online, online community called Blokes United. I don't know. If, uh, I think, Andrew, mm. I'm not sure if you're part of that, but... That that I think that is filling a gap at the moment. Yeah, um, that we can be a part of that. I've, I've seen some inspirational stuff on there. Guys just lay their hat, hearts out, and forty people will comment and say, "Man, keep it up. You know, you, you're doing well, and all that sort of stuff." So, community, I think, is a massive thing for all of us. But it's finding your community and, and trying to work through your community in this particular time. What do you? Re I know that's a hard thing at the moment. Well, it's amazing how far we've come as men. As you know, men don't really like to talk yeah. about these things. Um, uh, and I was one of them. I wouldn't, couldn't even think about going to talk to my mate about my problems. I was embarrassed yeah. about it. But now yeah. I, encourage, I encourage that 100%, get out and do it. Yeah. It's something that changed me about five years ago, I think it was, four years ago. I went and saw Jimmy Barnes do his... Um, live talk on stage down at the Palais, talk about his life. And this yeah. is a guy that I grew up with. I, he's my, one of my idols, Jimmy Barnes. What a, what a legend. Yeah. And we all know now through his story how much he struggled with life and, and, and all those things happened to him and tried to take his own life and struggled, but he would never talk about it. He wouldn't yeah. go to talk to his mates. You know, he wouldn't talk to anyone. But that night he said something that, you know, it's, it's okay to talk to your mates. And he goes, I do it. I love talking to me mates. And it's it's also, uh, he's talking to his mates, but it's also that person that listens to him. Yeah. It's got to take the credit as well because he's listening to his story. But yeah. I thought, you know, if Jimmy Barnes can get up on stage and tell everyone about his life and talk to his mates and how bad he was, 
why can't I do that? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I got out of that. That that changed me a lot that night hearing yeah. Barzi talk about that. And then, yeah. So that's one one um one thing that I took out of of that. But we just got to uh, just open up and yeah. not be scared or embarrassed or. And it's still hard. Some men don't want to do it, but yep. and, I, yeah, yeah. And I think also one thing you picked up on point pointed out there is that even if you're not going through something now, be a good listener. Listen, listen to other people. Hundred you know, percent. Have, have yeah. an ear. Don't be just waiting to talk, but have a listen to what people are actually saying. And you know, yeah. if I listen to you that time when you're talking about. You know, your stuff said, all right, next set, next set, let's go. You know, you've got to be able to listen. And I, I'd encourage everyone out there to, you know, we're encouraged to ask people, you know, how are you, how are you going, that sort of thing. But maybe follow up with some other questions and really try and listen to people and listen to their heart and what they're saying behind the words. Now, I think that's the most important thing in the whole, the whole thing. Like you talk to someone and, look, if someone talks to me, I'm looking at them, eye contact. I yeah. want to hear their story. I'm asking questions. If you're just locking around the room and not having an interest, yeah, it's not, you know, because I, I am interested in, and I've got a, a few friends, um, and look, I might have some friends that I, I don't know that they're struggling, but you yeah. know, I encourage people to just talk and just open up and just get it out. And it's, listening is just is more sometimes more important than actually telling the story, having yeah. a good listener as well. And I... I'll listen to anyone. If they've got a problem, I'll sit down and see. Hopefully I can give them some advice or, yeah. you know. Yeah, We've got a question that's actually come in along this line, Cole. Do you want me to ask it? Yeah, yeah. yeah go for it. Um, Melanie Jones, she says this, and it's pretty long, but I'm going to uh, uh, say, uh, read it out for you. Firstly, I have to say, Andrew, you are such an inspiration to everyone that has the pleasure of knowing you. My question is, considering society's stigma, against men not talking openly about mental health, where did you find the courage to speak about your experience and depression? Like where, where did you get that drive from? Um, I think, like, I've always spoke about my story, but as depression, because I about five, like I said, about five years ago when I saw uh, my psychologist is when I, um, when I found out that I had depression, even though I've had it, Pretty much my whole life, but didn't know really until I because I never saw anyone. I was still embarrassed to go to someone. But I think um, just about five years ago, yeah, I just opened up when I saw my a psychologist and a few mates. I just felt comfortable. I just I don't know where it came from. I just felt comfortable to talk to to friends, whether it be a family member or mm. I've got a good good mate who's a, who's a policeman and. Um, He's been there a lot for me, and he comes. He works with me every now and then. But um, he's a good listener, and I've got friends in the police force that have given me so much support. And that, I think that's what it was. I, I'm not embarrassed now, I'm, as you know. I mean, and and Cole's probably heard me talk to a few people at the pit yeah. about my story. Yeah. Um, and people say to me, "Dog, do you, uh, are you do you mind talking about it?" I said, "I don't." The reason why I talk yeah. about it a lot is. To get it out there, yeah. mainly to keep this guy in jail, which we succeeded with that. You'll never ever get out. So, yeah, which is awesome. I think that's yeah, yeah, it's a good one. And so, to follow up on that one, then you find that it's probably that first step. Once you've said it, yeah. once you've opened up once, then you feel like 
Mm. Oh, well, hang on. Yeah. I didn't get stoned. I didn't, I didn't get rocks thrown at me. <laughs> you know, I, I actually got through this. Maybe I can chat to someone else or maybe I can just let a little bit more out and, and of, of who I am. Yeah. I think the first step is hard because you don't know what this person's going to think, whether yeah. they want to talk to you, whether they want to listen. Um, you just It's just hit and miss. And um, everyone I've spoke to, my story, my friends, they are good listeners and they're good people. And, and um, you can pick the good people and not everyone wants to listen to blokes, but most people... We'll, we'll listen. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, look, I mean, we're, we're just blown away by your story and, um, you know, we're almost time to wrap it up. But I wanted to finish with a question that we're going to ask every every guest that we have each week and it doesn't have to be related to what we've talked about, but what's one thing you, you could sort of encourage guys with to do re- something to do regularly that would help them be like a better or the best version of themselves? Um, obviously, talking to a mate, you know, it's okay not to be okay. So that that's that saying that mm. um, just if you're struggling, just open up. Yep. That's what I do. I just, um, if I've got a problem, and people could sometimes can pick it in you. They know you're down. Yeah. They know you're a bit flat. And you've probably seen me, Cole. I've been in yeah. sometimes where I've been a bit flat. And yep. I've come in, I've come in crying. Yep. Uh, but just give me some bloody weights, and I'll be right. You know, I just you weight up on those days. <laughs> That's right. So, um, and just the pit has changed my life. Being there with, you know, some fantastic people. You know, all the people we train with. Um, everyone's just so close. The community of the pit is great. And you know, couldn't ask for a nicer bloke than yourself to um, how you run the place and how you are as a person. So, just encourage just. Talk, yeah. talk to people. Just don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. It is what it is. Yeah. Get out there and talk and open up and just let it out. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, thanks heaps for for chatting with us. It's been so good to have you on. And I don't know, Raf, you got any other questions you want to run any final stuff? No, this is no. I loved hearing all of it, and I'm I'm learning from Andrew as he speaks. To be quite frank. Yeah, that's. That's awesome. Well, next week, Raf and Andrew. Buddy, who have we got? We have someone who can deadlift 400 kilos. And <laughs> Are you talking about me? Oh, no, not me. <laughs> and he can, also, he, can, he can also squat 400 kilos, 400 kilos on his back, and he can squat. Uh, that's all I'm going to tell you at the moment, but we'll leave the rest for next week. So, oh, there we go. Good stuff. Oh. That was good. I was really, really enjoyed that, guys. It was um, good to get it out there, and hopefully each week, like I said, there'll be a different story each week. Yep. Yep. Um, everyone's different, which is great. The whole concept works good, and we can hear someone completely different next week. Different story. Um, That's right. And and an endeavour to you know what's interesting is I you, you talked about this, and and we will wind it up after this. You talked about you know you kind of joked before we went on air that you've you've shared this story fifty one times. Now, that might be a little exaggeration, but what's different about these shows that will actually connect people and get them to ask their question? Like when you're on the ABC, they don't get to ask you the questions, the intimate, the, yeah. the questions that might help them and help others. So we're, we're really keen on, again, like Cole said, we're not experts. We're just guys with too much time and not enough to do. And we just want to help other guys 
live life basically and become a better version of themselves. So thanks heaps for joining us, Andrew. I'm sure no we'll more of you in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Cole. Good work. And thanks, yeah, everybody no. for, thanks everyone for tuning in and having a watch. And, uh, yeah, feel free to uh, sort of like and subscribe and do all the all those sort of things. <laughs> and we'll see you at 8 o'clock next Thursday. Absolutely. Cheers. All right, boys. See ya. Good stuff. <laughs>